The presenting sponsor for On Education is Schoology. Schoology's passion lies in helping instructors and students have the best education experience possible. Schoology is a collaborative, student-focused, and faculty-centered learning management system. Students love Schoology because it gives them 24-7 access to course materials, real-time feedback from their instructors, and easy-to-use collaborative tools. Teachers love the streamlined workflow, integrated apps such as Google and Microsoft tools, and the ability to view evidence of student learning for making instructional decisions. To learn more about what is possible with Schoology, simply visit Schoology.com. You know, my, my advice would be to anyone who's kind of stepping out is don't be afraid to brand yourself. Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss the college admissions scandal, the education programs Trump wants to cut, why we should emphasize student growth over grades, and we have two amazing guests for you today, Brian Aspinall and Andrew Arevalo. Hey, newsflash. Okay. Rich people bribe people to get their kids into school. I know. It's a it's it's such a a, uh, As if we didn't it, know it was, this was yeah, exactly. happening. <laughs> uh, what's funny about it is that on the news they describe it as this is the side door to college entrance or to be able to get into colleges. The back door really is we can just buy buildings and then our kids will be able to go in and get in. So it's eh, just disgusting overall. I just I, it, you know how intricate this detail the details are here are just if you've listened over the week it's just gross. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm happy that people are getting arrested. We all knew it was happening and people weren't getting arrested. Yes. So I didn't even know it was illegal. Like, I didn't even know that a law necessarily was. Well, because we knew it was happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we know that Jared Kushner's dad donated like two million dollars to Harvard. And that's how that dummy got into Harvard. Like, we know this it's that's a it, it, yeah. i didn't even think it was against the law because no one was getting arrested for it until now yeah and the like it's been happening for 40 50 years i'm sure oh or longer man uh and and i guess it being in the open you know and them being um prosecuted for it i love that right. you know that's awesome and that's great uh, just the exposure out there and then the people knowing that now people are looking much more closely at these things. But gosh, the 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 way that they've gone about doing some of these things, the details here are just crazy. I mean, Photoshopping kids into sports photos so that they could get the scholarships. Amazing. Um, then they don't actually ever join the team, but they get into the school and then... Uh, paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to some fixer, basically, to be able to do something. Having your kid come into a test, a high-stakes test at SAT or ACT, but someone is really taking the test for them, but they don't even really know that someone was taking the test for them because their test is going to be trashed. Uh, oh gosh, it's just so many layers of this. And it really, it just it's kind of like scandalous, and we love scandal. Um in the United States, just to be able to go ahead and, you know, oh, I want to hear more and more details about it. But really, it's just, it's sad for uh, the these institutions that that's kind of where they're at, you know, that that's this, this is the reality of it. Like you just said, we all know knew that it was happening, but it was kind of like uh, no, one ever, no one ever brought it out to light. Yeah. It's stunning that these schools feel the need to do this, especially these schools. Like these aren't like low level kind of prestige schools. These are like Georgetown, mm -hmm. Stanford, Yale, yeah. UCLA, yes. uh, USC. USC. These are big schools. Like even Wake Forest is a yes. is a good school. It's an elite school. I mean, yeah. these aren't these aren't little universities, you know, in, in little towns. These are some of the biggest name universities on the on the planet i don't understand why we need and and i mean uh there's so much about this that's absolutely 
just absolutely crazy. I mean, we're really focused in on the two actresses who 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 did this, uh, Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman. But it was it's way bigger than them two. It's it's easily fifty or sixty families. Yeah. Um, and their kids and it's investment bankers and whatever. And just, just to be clear, these are all, or almost all Democrats like, like this, you know, there are shady people on both sides of the aisle folks, just, just to be clear. And this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Um, and, and it, it definitely smacks of entitlement. It smacks of Bill Maher actually said it the best on Friday night when he said, when Republicans refer to the coastal elite, this is what they're talking about. These people who feel this gigantic sense of entitlement, so much so that they can go and spend all of this massive amount of money that they have. They obviously have way too much money on their hands that they can burn 500 grand to make sure that their their kid who clearly doesn't care about going to school, it's their what was it? Lori Laughlin's daughter, who is a social media influencer said, I'm just at school to party and to experience the lifestyle. I literally don't care about school. She flat out said that in a, in a, whatever she does a video of Vine, not a vine. They don't have vines anymore, but YouTube or whatever the <laughs> yeah. hell, however the hell Instagram, yes. I guess that's yeah, what yeah. all the cool kids do these days. Yeah. So, I mean, but I just, I, I said to my wife, I assumed it was somehow it was legal or something because no one has been gotten getting arrested for this for 40 years. It's obviously been happening since the beginning of time. Well, one of the things that I want to go ahead and inform these rich elite people is that us regular people went to state universities that don't cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to get into that don't require you know, super elite scores or whatever else it might be to be able to get into. And we all did okay. We all did great, actually. So the little university that I went to in in Southern Colorado called Adams State University, little school, fantastic results, great placement in all kinds of different positions and uh, careers. And you can, anybody can do that. You don't have to actually attend one of these universities. That's fantastic if you get into one of them legitimately but if you don't you can still go and get a great education if that's what you really want to do and like you just said if you're just going there to get the status symbol of i went to ucla or usc or harvard or whatever it might be i just don't you know what's funny is i don't even see them graduating then they're not going to just be able to scam their way to a degree what's funny about is that you get into it you're like okay, well, now I'm not going to be, you know, I just got into the thing, but I'm not going to really put any effort towards, you know, towards my academics here because I didn't actually earn the ability to be here. So in the end, they'll all get what's coming to them. You know what I mean? So right now, yeah, right now it's just the scandal and hopefully their careers uh, suffer from that. I hope that they do, you know, their, their elitism and, and those kinds of things. And, and, and it's just sad to me and, that that's the state of of education at least in the public eye too i hate that that it stays so long in the public eye that this is one of the big things Uh, and if i was a university person i would hate that also i would be livid if i was a professor that was now going to have to teach some of these kids that obviously did not earn their way into into school they probably wouldn't show up to class anyway and don't care (laughs) don't care about um speaking of the state of education the the budget um the trump administration budget came out i guess a week or so ago and um there's a lot of bad news in this budget for education a lot of bad news right Yeah. yeah the headline is 29 education programs uh trump wants to eliminate um and there's it's just gross again it's typical trump stuff but this one is so over the top and so sure. many programs in there that would be impacted by it. Of course, you know, when a president proposes any budget, that's not actually going to be the, he's not a, he's not the legislative branch. So right. these are just kind of, 
these budgets that these the presidents put out are kind of their vision, which you can really tell what his vision is, is basically cutting, gutting, actually, public education and yeah. all of the different aspects here. And then yeah. uh, moving forward with a, you know, a huge amount of... Uh, of monies towards defense budgets and then, you know, uh, some stupid wall that he's talking about. So uh, just really disgusting things here. I mean, right up at the top where it describes it in billions, basically it's 1.2 billion is 21st century community learning centers. That would be the top, one of the, one of the top things that's cut there. Um, and I mean, there's other things on here like supporting effective instruction, state grants that are granted by the federal government. That's $2 billion that would also be go ahead and be cut. And then there's a bunch of other things that are just like you were reading about the uh, special, special Olympics. Olympics education programs. Are you frigging serious? I mean, that's when here's another one: arts and education. Right. First of all, oh my god! First of all, the menial amount of money that we have for that—it's only twenty nine million. Now, twenty nine million may seem like a lot. This is Not across nation, the whole country. This is nationwide for the federal yeah. government, and that would be cut twenty nine million in uh, arts and education budget. Uh, I mean, a ton of different types of programs here that are. Uh, great equalizers, I would call them, as far as in education. And, and thank goodness that these programs exist at the federal level and that they're providing these funds. And uh, thank goodness that Trump isn't a, di a dictator and that he can't just legislate these types of things and that there is a checks and balances system in the United States. And and just like we talked about before, elections do matter. And this is one of the things. Like His vision is basically gut public education and basically privatize education and and then move forward with that vision. You know, the the biggest cut though is the one that pisses me off the most. What is that? And and only because we obviously talk about it a lot. Supporting effective instruction state grants. Yes. So what it sounds like this is is grants that educators get for PD. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's $2 billion that's being cut from providing teachers with education to improve their level of instruction and their own professional knowledge yeah. is being is the number one is the largest cut in this list. So if, and, you're, if you're a teacher and I, and I know they do exist, Mike, because I, I was a union guy, we actually had 30 something percent Republicans, if not higher number in Minnesota, which were a very blue state, 30 something yeah. percentage Republicans that are representatives as, as part of the union. And, yeah. and you decide to go ahead and vote for Trump. Just understand that you're undercutting your own public teaching position. Just understand, yeah. it doesn't matter if you believe in any of these other visions of whatever it might be as far as that he's representing. Just understand that he has just come out front and said, I don't believe in public education. We should just gut the whole thing and uh, privatize it all. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I absolutely listen. The primary is getting exciting. There's lots of great conversation hopefully going to happen. We can get off of that really dumb picture of, picture of Beto. Uh, from his whatever drunk driving arrest. I mean, let's have really good conversations and get an awesome candidate who will believe in education and do an awesome job. Um, I think we all we all deserve that. And uh, you're certainly not getting that now. So um, we got some work to do. Big that's time. for sure. Um, this interesting, pretty interesting article came up on Ed Surge called Growth Over Grades, How a Resubmit Policy is Helping us build a culture of revision and and i've i've had a chance to read it a couple of times because i i had a you know i had this one thought that that we um sort of talked about off air that i want to bring up but what what were your thoughts about this article just in general glenn um i think that the biggest thing that it is presenting is actually a revolutionary idea to just move away from our current grading system. We talk about grades all the time, whether we should have homework policies, whether or not we should have the A through F system, whether zeros should be uh, a zero or they should be a 50%. But really all of that stuff, grading and learning are pretty distant cousins, I would call them right now. They're not really related to each other well enough to where, uh, in this case, what it's talking about is that we should really be focusing on what is happening within the classroom in this case when you submit something 
why not have the ability to go ahead and resubmit it multiple times with revisions and then in the end show your growth uh, as far as uh, being able to go ahead and submit the item in the end after it's received several uh, revisions. And you had a really, really good point about why this might not work within the current system. It's it's really really difficult because what they're what they're wanting to focus on is and it's a it's a it's a major bullet in the in the articles is fewer resubmits more revision the focus on process which we've spent a little bit of time talking about recently about the idea that um, the the act of creation of creating something and that revisionary process and that iteration process is is what really matters and then that's what you should actually be assessing especially when it comes to project-based learning and 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 stuff like that but it takes time this is there are not a lot of teachers who have time in their schedule for students to submit like three or four drafts so that they can really show that they've nailed a subject and grown over the course of the time that they're submitting. Let's say you have to submit a, a, a two or three page creative writing assignment. The, the goal with this article and, and frankly, I, I align with it. Like, I, I think it's amazing. The idea that you would create multiple drafts and that you would spend that time in peer review and review with the, with the teacher and discussing the goals and the flow and, then rewriting it and then getting it reviewed again by someone and then rewriting it and then getting it reviewed again and then submitting it once you feel like you've really mastered the 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 goals that you were trying to achieve and the problem is is that you just a lot of people just don't have time for that when you're getting pressure from your school to have you know a, a certain number of grades in your grade book by a certain amount of time um, when you have to, um, you know, hit, you know, a certain amount of common core standards every time you teach a, a, an assignment or a project and you have to make sure that you're in, in Canada, in Ontario, where you have a, a standardized or required standardized test, for example, in grade six, where you're literally the whole second half of the school year all you're focused on is teaching to the test and there's no revisionary process in a damn test. No, there's, no, there's time, no high stakes, right? You, you, you take it and it's, and it's, and it's done. And there's no process. They don't care about the, the, the path that you took to get to the answer. They just want you to see, want to see that you got the answer. Um, I mean, so when you're teaching to a test, uh, a standardized test of any sort, there's no pathway. There's no there's no window of opportunity for process and no window of opportunity for revision. And that's really a shame because I think that the process is so much more important than the outcome in the end. I, I, I want to see how you got there. Um, I, I think that in most cases, when you can build value and build meaningful experience um, with your teacher and with your peers uh, through a multi-step, you know, iteration process in almost any assignment too. It doesn't just have to be um, like I talk about like game design and stuff like that, but it doesn't have to be, it can be writing. It can be art. It can be anything. Yes. It can be, it can be anything. Um, but there's just, I mean, it's just a shame that we, t we talk a lot about this stuff and it still doesn't seem like there's a room, there's room or an area where this can actually change. And that's frustrating because all this seems like is a really good idea that is just going to stay on ed surge. Yeah. Um, because, because, um, you know, all that we do seem to do is talk about good ideas and, um, you know, we need to elect some people that can actually make some of these. Clearly, make it come I need to be the yeah. Minister of Education and Glenn needs to be the ed Education <laughs> Secretary so that we can get this stuff into the actual uh, education I standards. Will, I will because... be coming on my platform here pretty soon. <laughs> sure. So, so, I mean, we'll put the article in the show notes. Yes. And, and again, listen, if you have room in your practice and in your school and you have autonomy 
and buy-in from administration. Think about process, please, um, because this is like a huge regret of mine. Now I'm thinking about it a lot because uh, of, you know, when I was with AJ Giuliani and, and he was talking a lot about process and I, I can't stop thinking about it because I didn't do it. And I'm not going to probably be back in the classroom again in my career, at least not in an elementary classroom. And I wish I had had that opportunity to really focus on process instead of the final product. If you have the opportunity, please go and do it. Please go read this article. Please think about how you're assessing the process uh, because um, it's it's so important. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I want to put something kind of cool on your radar. We haven't talked about games yet, so I feel obligated <laughs> to talk about to talk about games just a little bit. Um, GDC Game Developers Conference is this week, and it really looks like well, um, Google is ramping up something huge. We don't know what it is yet, but they're doing their first ever like keynote at a GDC this week for the first time. They've hired a bunch of big names. Um, Phil Harrison, who was with um, uh, Sony and Xbox, joined Google last year. They didn't really say what he was doing. But the other big name that just got announced, it just got announced last week. Um, was Jade Raymond and Jade is actually a big friggin deal when it comes to video games she was the um, the executive producer of Assassin's Creed Mm, um, for the longest time so I mean a big name huge game Um, she um, eventually joined EA and did um, some work on some unannounced stuff that's still either being made or might have been canceled but but she joined, they announced last week that she's joining Google as well. And they didn't really say other than her role is as a, is as a vice president. They're clearly doing something. Um, there might be hardware. It might be related to Chromecast, which would be, listen, if it's related to Chromecast, that's sweet because Chromecast is super cheap, right? They're like 25 bucks and you, you plug it into an HD port and you if you they're they're saying they may connect a controller to chromecast and then you can stream games Hmm. from an online delivery service onto your chromecast we don't know i mean this time next week we'll know yeah and maybe we'll talk about it but if you're if you're into this kind of stuff maybe we should pay a little attention to places like the verge and polygon this week while gdc is happening and and see what Google's going to do because I mean if there's anyone that could make a giant splash into gaming that hasn't really made one yet I mean Facebook has their play with Oculus I guess and obviously Microsoft and Sony all these other big names are are in gaming Google isn't really so you know they're doing something big and we're going to find out what it is Absolutely and then we'll talk about it How does that sound Glenn That sounds fantastic yeah, man. Uh, when we come back, we actually have back-to-back interviews. This is going to be great, guys. First, with Brian Aspinall, the author of Codebreaker, Blockbreaker, Speaker, travels all over, talks to people about programming and gamification. He's on next. And then right after that, this year's Q Emerging Teacher of the Year, Andrew Aravello. Quests. One of Classcraft's most popular features with over 100,000 lessons created by teachers and 3 million learning objectives completed by students so far is now part of Classcraft's free offerings. In 2019, your students won't just be learning multiplication, chemistry, or any other content. They'll be saving the kingdom. Transform your lessons into adventures with Quest today. Visit Classcraft.com for more information. All right, welcome back to the podcast. We uh, would like to welcome Brian Aspinall to the show. Brian is a teacher, speaker, and presenter on coding and gamification. He's the author of Codebreaker and the just-released smash hit follow-up book, Blockbreaker. Smash hit, Brian. Welcome to the show. I love it. I uh, That's Thank you so much. It's happy St. Patrick's Day, and after all, the book's green, right? Can I right, right. Or are we, you're gonna you're gonna play this later. We're recording on St. Patty's Day. We are recording on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, so it's not likely that you have to introduce yourself to many of our listeners, but why don't you do it anyways? Give ourselves a give yourself a kind of an introduction, a, a Brian Aspinall one hundred and one. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Brian Aspinall, educator. I've spent most of my teaching career uh, grades 7 and 8 for about 12 years. Uh, these days I'm teaching at the various faculties of ed here in beautiful Ontario, Canada. That's right. In 2016, I, I think this is rad, so I, I've I've been thinking about it a bit. In 2016, you won the Prime Minister's Award for Teaching Excellence. Like, holy crap. That that must have been a pretty proud accomplishment for you. Uh, it, you know what? It, it really was. But I think the, the most humbling part of that is you have to be nominated. So yeah. that my colleagues thought that highly of me means so much more than winning the award. I mean, winning the award's great, but the fact that people took time out to put that application together, because it's it's pretty lengthy. There was parents and students and colleagues involved and my my administrator. So I'm very flattered. So let's talk about let's talk about the first book. Let's talk about Codebreaker. Uh I found it as much of anything, a bit of a, like, almost like a manifesto. It reminded me of all the reasons why we teach coding. Uh, also, I, I love that you integrated real kind of program examples into the book so that people could get a solid idea of what you were talking about at any time. That was obviously intentional, right? Yeah, it was very intentional. I mean, I knew coming out of grad school that I wanted to publish something. I didn't know if that would be a research paper or or what that sort of looked like. Uh, so when the opportunity came to work with the pirate authors, I, I jumped at the chance, but I didn't want to write just that how to coding book or the the technical manuscript, if you will. I wanted it to be a bit about my educational philosophies, beliefs as well, and things I've learned in my classroom with you know regards to what it means to fail and, and taking risks and all those other trendy buzzy themes we have in education today right on right on so we were just together um a couple weeks ago in edmonton and i wanted to bring up a, an interesting moment I'm, I'm 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 hopefully hoping you remember it too uh an interesting moment we had together we were sitting uh with a woman we were having breakfast and she she just started <laughs> hammering us with questions uh <laughs> You're laughing, so I know you remember it. Yeah. Uh, she she's just started hammering us with questions, but the the one that you like you didn't say anything for a while, and I was trying to just kind of handle it here, and and then but she asked a question, and you jumped in. Um, she asked why we should teach kids to code, and you said so like it was so succinct and to the point, and you just like it gives students a voice, and everything stopped, and and I thought. Yeah, exactly. That was like what I should have said. And you said it in like one sentence. And I agree completely. And so we talked about how coding has the potential to reach students who were previously unreachable or unengaged. Can you spend some time breaking that down a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So coding uh, tools like Scratch, tools like Minecraft. I mean, that's the theme of my two books wrapped around computational thinking. I call those uh, your sandbox learning experiences, and they provide a level of equity. They're very low floor, very high ceiling, uh, very wide walls, so multiple entry points. So it doesn't matter um, the ability of the student. Anybody can can demonstrate learning in, in those spaces. And the scaffolding and the differentiation is so, so natural that uh, I believe it, it creates time for me to conference with other students. When, when kids are engaged in those spaces. So there is an equity side to that, assuming we've all got the technology, of course. Um, but I, in my experience, it's allowed students who, and I'm using air quotes, I know you can't see me, students who traditionally aren't good at school, and I, I don't like the adjective, but uh, it builds confidence, right? We have, we're starting to recognize other kids are seen as experts, not just the, I'm using the quotes again, the academic, you know, good students, so to speak. Right, exactly. And so Blockbreaker, the the smash hit follow-up <laughs> book, uh, is is it, this is a no-brainer in my mind. Uh a book that combines Minecraft uh and coding. Uh so I mean, I guess we're preaching to the choir a little bit on this, but what in your mind makes Minecraft such a special unique coding environment? Uh, if you look at one Minecraft block as a cubic meter, everything else falls into place from that one simple fact. Um, yeah. Just in a math classroom, if you want kids to build growing patterns, Minecraft's a great place to do it, just like linking cubes or Lego. 
if you want kids to explore surface area and volume and, you know, design pools that have a specific volume, that's a great spot to do that. Um, but you don't have to just use, you know, building pools in Minecraft to explore volume and surface area. You could uh, build a pool in Minecraft with a specified volume uh, at the house that you're also building because you're learning about structures. And you're also telling your narrative story because uh, you're writing a story in your English class. It just allows for so much spiraling of our curriculum. Um, as you know, I mean, it's, it's that project-based approach that kids can just demonstrate so many curriculum expectations with such a simple fact, and that is, you know, one cubic meter as a Minecraft block. And even with our younger friends, we could say it's a, centi a cubic centimeter if we want and, uh, you know, go from there. Build the school to scale, for example. Exactly. Actually, that that's a funny project. I uh, I've started trying to build my my previous school to scale. I think that is one of those fun, engaging assignments that that any school should totally do just just for the the engagement of, of being able to, to build their own school. I think that's a rad. That's a rad activity. A friend of mine in uh, he lives about an hour from here. I think he's in Strath Stratford, I believe. Okay. Uh, Jim Pedrick, he teaches grade 10. And he had his students build their, their high school to scale. And they added the texture packs to actually make it look like the high school. And then yeah. they, they invited their feeder schools to take a virtual tour while they're in grade 8 before they could actually go to the high school. And imagine being able to do a scavenger hunt during summer before high school and, you know, go find your locker and all those other pieces. It's tremendously powerful. So much fun. And that's so much that's fun. very cool. Now um, I'm just going to put a little asterisk in there. The, yeah. The safe schools act about putting your, uh, <laughs> building your school to scale and deploying it on the internet. You just want to be careful about that. <laughs> I guess so. Right. Yeah. Um, where can people buy the, the book is out now. The book is out now, right? Blo um, Block Breaker. You bet. Came out last Sunday, March, uh, whatever the heck it was, 10th, I guess. It's exciting. And it's doing well? It's doing so well. Um, and I'm really excited that it's bumped Codebreaker back up. You know, you see them both on Amazon as frequently bought together. That's got me really, really excited because people are eager to go. try and they want to know. And I think both of those tools, Minecraft and coding in general are very intimidating um and often yeah. get lumped into that math world and, and math is a very intimidating subject area as well so i hope that to provide you know nice little easy reads short reads that just provide a window into what i've learned and what these tools have done for different types of students in my classroom amazing so where can people connect with you online what are the all the ways oh, that, uh, that you you communicate just honestly google me You'll find my Twitter, you'll find my Facebook. The top two posts will be my blog, my my resume, my LinkedIn, Instagram. It's all at Mr. Aspinall. It's all the same handle. Very, very good. Thanks so much for joining us, Brian. Again, Blockbreaker is out now. You can get it basically anywhere yeah, um, that you go online. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. And people, people should do that. We'll have a link uh, to it also in the show notes. Uh, thanks for joining us, man. It was great. Absolutely. Would love to do a follow-up down the road. Awesome. Thanks so much. Cheers. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We are thrilled to be joined today by the man himself, Game Boy Drew, Andrew Aravello. Andrew is a... <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Andrew is a big friend of the pod. Uh, and was just like just awarded the Q Emerging Teacher of the Year Award at uh, Q last week in California. Welcome to the podcast again, uh, Drew. Hey, what's up, guys? Happy to be here, and I am absolutely excited. Right, Glenn just woke me up like two <laughs> minutes ago, so <laughs> so sorry for the delay and the technical glitches. But you know, it was a crazy weekend. You know, celebrating that cue and yes. just kind of gaining that award, and and I'm glad to be back with you guys. It's been a while since we last spoke. Yeah. So. Tell us a little bit about just Q Conference itself, Andrew. If we're not familiar, some of our audience may not be familiar with it. They don't live in California, uh, and then mm -hmm. and then maybe tell us about what is that Emerging Teacher of the Year award? What what does that all entail? Yeah, exactly. So, I first heard about Q last year. Uh, I received an email from my principal, and he was like, "Hey, 
uh, Q is going on, you know, in a couple of months, would you like to go? And I was like, uh, sure. And, and then I talked to one of my colleagues and I was like, I have no idea what Q is, right? I, I literally thought it was the letter Q. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was the letter Q. Yeah. And I was like, and, and then my buddy was like, no, what? You've never heard of it? Oh man, you got to go. So I was like, all right, well, I signed up. So, you know, okay. I went to Q last year. It was my first year in March. Okay. And I was blown away by, by what I saw, right? By what I experienced, by the people that I met. You know, it was like I had been living and teaching in isolation and I was introduced to this whole new world, this whole new culture of just innovators of, you know, people sharing because they want to help kids and not charging to share things. And and I was like, wow, I mean, sign me up. And so uh, it was funny because I remember last year I was sitting in the audience and I was watching, you know, they have this huge jumbotron screen. Yeah. It was a packed room. I don't know, like 5,000 to maybe 8,000 people. And they showed a video and it was titled the emerging teacher of the year. And I was like, that's going to be me next year. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I remember like, I, I told myself, I was like, that, that is going to be me. Right. So, you know, well, here we are one year from that date. And I just accepted my, my award for the emerging teacher of the year. And it, what it does is it, it was a teacher who's making um, you know, an outstanding difference in educational technology, but, but more specifically, an educator who is in their first seven years of teaching, right? So awesome. I'm in my, my fourth year of teaching, and by winning that award, if I'm not mistaken, I now uh, get thrown into the mix for the ISTE Young Teacher of the Year Award or, or whatever that is. So I know like, awesome. by winning the Q1, yeah, I become... Yeah, I become their automatic like applicant for that ISTE one. What do That's... we have to do to make sure that you win that one? I, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out if I have to to actually do any work myself for that, or or can I just show at this point? Yeah, because because <laughs> on education is going to be right behind you. We're we're 100 supportive of, of Ooh, your efforts yeah, there. Yeah, yes. there we go. Right. So yeah, I'm excited, and uh, we'll see what happens. Right. I, I guess now I just wait with my fingers crossed and. Regardless, you know, it's it's been an amazing year and I've, I've gotten some some amazing and wonderful opportunities like meeting you guys right at FETC. You know, I always kind of think about it. If I had never gone to Q last year, I probably wouldn't be talking to both of you right now. You know, I that's know, the right? crazy thing. Right. So. so- so, yeah. I mean, what a difference a year makes like like and we're the same. We're in kind of the same boat with the the changes that have happened over our careers in the last year. Um, when you think back over the last, mm-hmm. you know, 12, maybe 18 months, what do you think about when you think back um, and, and how much you've changed? I mean, I, I'd say the, the the biggest thing is, you know, just having that confidence to go yeah. out there to, to introduce myself to people, to go up on stage and share my ideas. I mean, last year, <laughs> I was so kind of timid. I was so kind of shy. I hadn't, you know, developed this alter ego, this Game Boy Drew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just, I was just Andrew Arevalo. <laughs> and now, you know, I'm Andrew Arevalo, but in the sense, I've kind of learned how to you know, walk in my own shoes, right? And, yeah. and just kind of go out into this world and, and be like, hey, I'm not just Andrew Reblo. So right along with that, Drew, uh, you do an amazing job, I think, at uh, what I consider to be personal branding uh, on mm-hmm. social media and in conferences, like, uh, for example, the sticker swap that you guys uh, had there at Q. Um, mm-hmm. Why do you believe it's so important as educators to do this? Because I know there's a there's actually a movement. I actually just this past week saw a gigantic Twitter feed about why we shouldn't be personally branding. But I actually uh, completely disagree. And I believe you do too. Why is it so important for us to go ahead and do that? Yes, uh, yes. There's like this stigma now against branding ourselves, you know. And it's so funny because I was actually having this conversation with my fiance on our way back, you know, from Palm Springs last night. And we were talking about it. And and I I just kind of, I think about it in this perspective, right, in this analogy. So I think one one of the things I'd read about is the fact that branding isn't good because it kind of gets a teacher and like gets them into like a self or into a specialization where 
when people think of them, they only think of this idea or this concept that the teacher is doing, right? Sure. Yes. But if we look back, I mean, to put it in perspective, think of Amazon, right? When Amazon was here, when it was initially started, it was just a book company. Yes. So, you know, you, you look at Amazon now, they're doing some amazing and incredible things, right? And it's not just about books. It's everything. So, yeah. yeah, it's everything. Why does a teacher need to have a brand that only represents, for example, in my case, game-based learning, gamification? I'm more than that. And that, that may kind of have been my stepping stone into this whole brand, but that's not what, what I represent. That's not just me. You know, I'm about design thinking. I'm about SDGs. I'm about blended learning. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like I'm a blockbuster brand. You know, it's not like I'm doing the, the same thing over and over. You know, I'm, I'm trying to extend, you know, myself in, in many different ways and, and learn from different people. And, you know, by, by branding, it's, it's been the exact opposite. You know, I've, I've gotten so, so many opportunities and it's just kind of opened my, my mind to, you know, different to new and to, to me, trying new things, like I said, because it's not about just representing one thing in my brand. It's it's more than that. You know, I, I want to be associated as like an Amazon brand, not just selling books, not just, you know, doing things centered on games, but but much more than that. So I don't know. I think that's kind of my, my little yeah. sense no, in it. <laughs> and, and I think you've done it so well that what advice would you have for other educators who are also interested in doing this? Like, what's the the pathway? And I know you've actually done sessions, I think, similarly related to this, they, whether yeah. it be personal branding or just kind of like you just said, stepping out of that silo that most, I, Mike and I talk about this all the time, that most teachers are not on Twitter. And, and mm -hmm. people killed Mike because he said that. And actually he's right. Most yeah. teachers are not on Twitter and the, and that's just one tiny aspect of basically growing as a professional is this mm -hmm. kind of whole uh, idea of, of using social media as a professional learning network. But if someone is out there and they really want to go ahead and, and step out and they want to go ahead and do that, how do they even get started? So I, I remember as I was so the way that the Q Award works, right, for the Emerging Teacher of the Year, just to give some background on that, is there's, I, I think, like, say, 20 affiliates of Q located in California as well right. as Nevada. So when I first got nominated, it, I had to get nominated for my local affiliate. And once I won that, then I could kind of nominate myself and go forward and putting my application in for the the emerging teacher of the year like the the overall winner where i compete against all the other local affiliate winners right yeah and i was as i was doing that i had to fill out an application and i shared that with a couple of different of, of you know of my colleagues of my buddies from my pln from twitter and one of the the best pieces of advice that, that i feel like i've ever gotten uh came from a good friend of mine and and she said don't be afraid to sell yourself don't be afraid to share your ideas, hmm. you know? And I think as teachers, right, when, when we do brand ourselves, I feel like we kind of have to, like, it, if we want to all contribute to this community of practice, right, and yes. we want to help kids out, no matter what zip code, no matter what state, no matter what country, then it is our obligation to have to share. Like, we have to do it you know, and, and not charge, like just do it for free. Right. Yes. So, you know, my, my advice would be to anyone who's kind of stepping out is don't be afraid to brand yourself. There, there's nothing negative about it. I mean, it's, it's putting your own perspective and, um, you know, just go for it, share your ideas, contribute to this larger, you know, community of practice that all teachers are a part of. Cause you know, you kind of owe it to, to the next teacher. Right. I mean, at some point, Someone in our life uh, has helped us, right? A teacher, sure. a mentor, a trainer, um, a principal, admin, etc. So you know we're just paying it forward, and and you know don't be afraid to sell yourself. Don't be afraid to share your ideas. Well, and you never you never know what doors are going to open up to you as well. I mean, we're you're the three of us are great examples of this. I mean, the doors that yeah. have opened up for me in the last year have been uh, un imaginable 
yeah. as well. And and it's and it is because I put myself out there and and mm-hmm. because of the podcast and and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, if you if you have something to say, people should be saying it and not afraid to say it and uh, own yourself, own what you believe in and and don't be shy about it at all is what I've always said. If you got if you got something to say, you have every right in the world to say it. Exactly. And, and, and share share your feelings and share your thoughts and uh, your passions, uh, because, I mean, that's I mean, it's almost human nature, but it's certainly just something you should always do. Definitely. Uh, so we think that's that's awesome. Um, speaking of awesome, I've loved, loved this watching you share your experiences um, that you've had with your students uh, mm-hmm. as you learn and have been teaching them about entrepreneurship. Um, yeah. And I think it's awesome that you've taken them around to various businesses and had uh, various business leaders into your classroom to speak to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and I love what you're doing in this space. So what is it about entrepreneurship that you think is important for our students to, to learn? You know, yeah, well, that's been one of my, my big projects this year, right, is because I also teach the, the GATE program at my school, right? And for that, I, I teach fourth through eighth graders. And I, I think it's so amazing that, you know, when we step outside of the classroom and we get these real authentic experience from, from the local leaders, from the local yeah. entrepreneurs who are doing it big and doing it successfully, um, if we can learn from them, then we need to. And it's just been nice to, to kind of, bring all stakeholders together, you know, for that common goal, for that common purpose. But entrepreneurship, um, believe it or not, is, is big, big to me, you know, I, in the sense of it's, it's in my heart. I love it. I, um, I I don't know if I've ever shared kind of like my background with you guys, but so I I graduated high school, right. In 2008. Yeah. And um, at that time I was learning how to invest in the stock market and if you guys remember what was going on in 2008 yeah. <laughs> uh, with the market stock market, yep. yeah, market was crashing, right? So I think I, I picked up shares of Bank of, of America, BAC, at like two bucks a share. I had Amazon. I had, you know, all these different companies. And I'm just like this 18-year-old kid, not, not even knowing what I'm doing, but I'm investing my money. And um, I eventually learned how to play the stock market. And I did it pretty successfully for um, a couple of years. And um, through through that, I was able to actually um, uh, buy a couple of apartments. So I owned those apartments with my fiance. That's awesome. And we, we rent those apartments out. And that's what kind of funds all of these different side projects, like going to these conferences that are, you know, crazy expensive, that's, right? That's what we need, Mike. <laughs> We need, we need, we need some apartments that we clearly we just need to buy some damn apartment buildings. What the hell have I been doing my whole life? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's big to me, like in the sense of I, I love kind of just creating opportunities or making things that didn't exist there, you know. And and I have like some of the best tenants. I mean, I love my tenants, and I always kind of, you know thank them for, for, you know, giving me a chance because it's funny, um, as a landlord, uh, when I go and show my apartments, the, the people that are there are like, so when's the owner coming? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, can we speak to the owner please? Yeah. I'm like, I am the owner. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have, I've had like literally attorneys, doctors go to my apartments and things like that. And they're like, okay. Um, yeah. So we are never going to judge a book by its cover. <laughs> right. So, awesome. I mean, I, yeah, entrepreneurship is just near and dear to my heart. And you, you know, one of the crazy things is as I was learning how to invest in the stock market, I met a buddy of mine, right. Um, and he was a retired teacher and he kind of also in the sense took me under his wing helped me with some of those technical stock market questions that i had and um that guy's like a multi-millionaire it's insane you know he's like the retired teacher lives in like this small little house just drives like the same car that he's drove in you know driven forever yeah and you would never expect and and it's amazing because you know i always think of you know this persona, teachers, you know, 
we're all broke and things like that. And I see my buddy of mine who's like freaking a multimillionaire. <laughs> but I, but I mean, obviously, yeah. obviously, yeah, it's, it's, you know, not, not something that happens typically, but I, I think that's pretty cool. So yeah, hopefully I, I, I didn't go off too, too off tangent. No, no we love it. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's great that you're teaching your kids season and I'm sure that they've enjoyed the, the experience that you know i i think that one of the reasons why i i like talking about um space for example and this this can be sort of related to what you're doing is that i want kids to believe and imagine that they could be astronauts mm-hmm. right like i want them to think yeah. hey i could do this too and so when you put business leaders in front of kids you want them i i think part of me would would say that i would want them to say hey look at look at these guys look at look at this andrew guy who owns like four apartments before he's 20 years old or whatever and <laughs> and, and you know they can do that too um mm-hmm. there's there's not exactly. really a whole lot stopping kids from doing almost anything um in in a lot of cases um and and i think that it inspires kids to to reach for whatever they're trying to reach for yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's nice because they get to those skills from the local entrepreneurs, but I also right. get to give them my own two cents. Like, hey, yes. this is what I've done and this is what I'm doing. So, you know, I, you guys can do it too. You, What's stopping you? Exactly. You know, yeah. who's who's saying you can't do it? Exactly. Amazing. Yeah, I love it, man. Game Boy Drew, Andrew Arevalo, <laughs> thanks for being on the podcast and joining us once again. And we'll, we'll see you soon. All righty, guys. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care, guys. Thanks, Andrew. See you, buddy. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn. My co-host is Glenn Irvin. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd love if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost and this helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Schoology, for supporting us. Check out Schoology.com to learn how they can help you advance what's possible. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome, and we'll see you soon.